0: pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News.
1: I'm Chen Bui, a USA Today contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C.
2: And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. And today's topic is cult television. We're going to start this episode off by listing our top five uh, cult television shows, and then we're going to go into a broader discussion of what it means to be a cult television show and why some are considered cult and why some are not. Uh, we're gonna break it down. We're gonna build it back up, and then we're gonna have just a fun old time. It'll be fun. Yes. Okay. Cool. So I'll go. I'll I'll go first with my list. I'll just list them. Uh, just a second. I gotta pull it up. This is in real time, folks.
0: Welcome to the future. Welcome
2: to the future. Okay, so in really no particular order, uh, but they're all they all just our top five. Uh, number one, community. Number two, freaks and geeks. Uh, Number three, Lost. Uh, Number four, Battlestar Galactica. Number five, Firefly. There's kind of a theme to those.
1: (laughs) Um, Mine are Lost, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Pushing Daisies, Fringe, and the last one that you wouldn't really expect to be in a cult TV list, Avatar the Last Airbender.
0: Interesting. That'll have to be a discussion. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, So my five are Galvant, which... I think we can consider cult TV at this point, mm-hmm. um, and we can t- discuss why uh, Battlestar Galactica, Veronica Mars, Chuck, and what I think is the ultimate cult show and the best, Pushing Daisies, forever. I love Pushing Daisies.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know how, but I completely forgot to put Chuck on. I know. List.
1: I'm really surprised you did.
2: I'm I'm heartbroken at myself.
1: Chuck, Chuck is my favorite show. Chuckie, by the way, is. Is Willoughby's favorite show. Like, he uh, lives his life by the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Well, and- <laughs>
0: well you're welcome for me including it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. So I have a question um, yes. for you guys. Because mm-hmm. you guys curiously put um, the same show on both realists. Mm-hmm. It's one of my all-time favorite shows, but not a show that I consider a cult show. Which one? And that would be Lost. Oh. Lost, I think, is one of the best shows. I, I'm one of the few people who love the ending. Me too. Um, And I think I don't consider it cult because while it has that following, it was a huge show. It was like a phenomenon. That's like the show that started the trend of discussing television week to week, like at the water cooler. Mm -hmm. Like that's the one that started TV being like, you watch it every week live and you have to discuss it at work. And Yeah,
1: the modern events watching TV show. So like,
0: I just, it's such a phenomenon that I can't consider it cult so.
1: See, I would consider it cult because the following was so fervent, even though it had more mainstream success than other shows like Battlestar Galactica or um, Firefly, because it's considered in the pantheon of like these great sci-fi shows that kind of start off, like, this following of people who you analyze every shot or, like, look into each nuance of the show or, like, the cryptic clues and that kind of stuff. And it, you, those, like, mainstream shows that aren't considered cult don't elicit that kind of reaction. Like, you don't see that in, like, NCIS, for example. So that's why I would consider Lost to be a cult show just because its following is so fervent.
2: And I would say on the, on the other side of that to, def, to, like, bring in, like, a definition of cult would be it's very niche Mm-hmm. Like it started out very broad, like it had, like, you know, the the big mystery of like, you know, why are these people on this island? And, you know, what's the smoke monster? And like all that kind of stuff. And then it got really niche into its mythology. Mm-hmm. And I think that with the, with a lot of these shows, a lot of these cult TV shows, there's a mythology to them that is that is not for the for the masses, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I would consider Lost, Lost is kind of. It, I could see where you're talking about how it may not be a cult but I believe it is a cult TV show because of of the cult following of the actual like definition of the of the word cult of like a a fervent group of people who believe in this one thing.
0: It's interesting because literally the cult the definition of cult is just like a loyal following. Um but I've always I've always associated cult in my head also with being underground. True. Mm-hmm. Like cult to me has always had this implication of being like shrouded in mystery and not very well known mm-hmm. um things like that like and so i think that's why like i like i accept i accept the idea that lost is a cult tv show but for mm-hmm. some reason i just my mind doesn't fully want to go there because like it was like it was for mass america though like mm-hmm. lost was huge even mm-hmm. with like non sci-fi fans
1: yeah i i agree with you to an extent but i think that in the internet age that definition of cult TV doesn't really apply anymore, because everything is so, like, massively distributed and stuff like that, and you can't really have a show that, like, no one's really heard of, unless, like, it's a show that no one has seen, which, in that case, doesn't have the kind of following that a cult TV show would have.
2: Yeah.
1: So, it's it's an interesting, like, I think it's a changing definition, definitely.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean,
1: language evolves. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, because we also have, like, before the internet cult t v could be considered just t v like anya said underground t v shows there's t v shows that have like a strong fan built base but without like the mass appeal or the mass fan base um mm. because or and there's also the the other like thing of cult t v is that a lot of cult t v shows are cancelled t v shows that mm. turn up later uh yeah. in multiple in like viewings after the the fact. Mm-hmm. So like uh I've had freaks and geeks on my uh my list and that only had one season but it was clear that that show could have gone on for more because it was about these characters in high school so you get these you know the second the next year could be a season um and uh it also it became cult because uh a lot of these shows uh had stars that were minor, and now they're major. Like, mm-hmm. Freaks and Geeks had, has James Franco, Freaks, uh, J- Jason Segel, Seth Rogen, Linda Cardellini, uh, Martin Starr, although he's kind of B-list. Uh, but it has, like, all these major uh, Judd Apatow, Paul Fee character uh, character actors who have become, become major stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, a lot of the shows are, become cult when their stars hit the big time, And people revisit their early work, and they see that these fantastic shows have rewatchability. Yeah,
1: I also think that cult TV shows are shows that stand the test of time. So they don't necessarily have to be just like underwatched and underappreciated at the time. They have to be shows that were maybe like were underappreciated or like had a really niche following, but then you know grows with its mass appeal or like people appreciate it much more later. Like, for example, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one big one like that because it's so prevalent in pop culture today, but back... And even, like, when it was airing, it was a very successful show, like, uh, commercially. Um, But it's still considered, like, a cult TV show because it has that niche demographic. Um, See, I would
0: consider Firefly more of Whedon's cult because, like, Buffy had... Well... Tons of seasons. Mm-hmm. It had a spin off show. Mm-hmm. Um, it was based on a movie. Like, Buffy R- was. That not made.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, whereas Firefly had literally 14 episodes, mm-hmm. a well, movie.
2: Only 11 of them aired on Fox.
0: Exactly. And it ended. And yet, people, like, brown coats are still, like, a thing. Like, mm-hmm. Firefly is still huge. Yeah. Um, and so I think, like, that to me is more of, like, the cult. Mm hmm. Buffy feels more commercial?
1: I guess you could say, like, it has its commercial success, but I don't think, like, the themes that, that it goes through or, like, the stories it tells are more commercial in a way. Because, like, it it was one of the shows that did pioneer the whole um, serialized storytelling because it had, mm-hmm. like, a lot of Monster of the Week uh, episodes, but it also, you know, had a big bad for every every season and then, like, it kind of everything continued with every episode.
2: Its mythology was deepened. Its
1: it. mythology was deepened. It even has, like, yeah. a comic book series now. Yeah. So I'd say, like, because it still has, like, a loyal following that consider Buffy to be, like, one of the, the best shows, um, even though it's not considered... Like, a lot of people don't watch it, but a lot of people love
2: it. And it's really funny because people are, like, uh, on the Internet, they always talk about why can't we have, like, a show that's, like, supernatural but about women. And that's, that was kind of what Buffy... Is. is and Supernatural mm-hmm. is a derivative of that, mm-hmm. and yeah. along with like Teen Wolf and other shows like mm-hmm. that. Uh, so it's really interesting that Buffy pioneered things and then decided, or not decided, but then the internet was has lost, like that Buffy was a thing, mm-hmm. and they're like, why don't we have something like this? And they're like, we do. It's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
1: Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I also I see like your your um, argument that cult TV should only be considered if they are like. A critical darling but a commercial like kind of failure or like less so but I think that there should be something to be said about like shows that even though they are commercially successful to an extent they have like that niche following and that niche demographic that pushes yeah, it along like to like I've... pop culture up the culture pop culture pantheon yeah I wouldn't like
0: argue that they don't have a cult following because mm-hmm. I think all the shows that we talked about do have a cult following mm-hmm. It just, it feels, like, to me to say, like, oh, it has a cult following versus, like, it is a cult TV show. Like, that is, like, this, like, pedestal now. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm more picky about what belongs on that pedestal. Mm-hmm. No, that makes um, sense, too. And it's interesting. So I wanted to talk about the fact that all of our shows kind of do have something in common in that they're all kind of, like, either, like, sci-fi mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they have, like, mythological elements. None of them are, at least I don't think none of our shows are... Well, kind of, maybe Veronica Mars is probably the only one that feels a little, like, based in reality. Mm-hmm.
2: Community started off that way, and then it got really high concept.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, community just went balls to the walls, like, yeah.
2: we're doing this.
1: Yeah, Veronica Mars also had that um, noir storytelling going for it, too, that was yeah very uncommon with like what you see with high school shows. Yeah, like,
0: it was still based in reality, there was no, like, science fiction, mm-hmm. but it still didn't feel real there was a heightened mm-hmm. like genre appeal to it so yeah. like i think that is something that has to do like with cult shows is that like none of them are
1: all of them are usually pretty high concept mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're genre shows it's yeah. true um i agree with that maybe that's like what the evolving definition of cult tv now is it's like a genre show that has a some sort of following that yeah. will like swear by it um, but
0: genre shows will never kind of reach
1: yeah mass audiences because
0: usually you know people have like oh that's not really my thing Mm -hmm. or like i'm more of like this kind of genre person and so like it's hard to find something that's so high concept and so like deeply rooted in a genre that is gonna like have that mass Mm -hmm.
2: i think i think one show that kind of goes goes above cult tv even though none of us like it anymore is game of thrones Mm -hmm. it's incredibly fantastical and, you know, it kind of spurred this new, like, middle-earth, medieval, like, renaissance of television. Um, and it's, like, it gets ratings at the wazoo. But um, I think... But it's also got the same elements of cult TV, of that it's fantastical, uh, that it's, you know, like, its fan base is very loyal. Um, except when it's not. <laughs> uh, and then it... Uh, but it all... It, yeah, so... I think that it's weird that we can have shows that kind of go above cult TV when it comes to the genre, speculative fiction aspect, but then uh, we have a ton of shows that are not considered mass appeal or they don't win all the Emmys or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's really yeah. it's interesting that there's this dichotomy between Game of Thrones and like the rest of cult TV, which I, I wouldn't consider Game of Thrones to be cult TV.
1: What well, would you consider, like... Um Sci-fi shows like *Orphan Black* or *Black Mirror*. I'm like, oh, I'm listing off shows that have very similar titles, but like those shows that are that are kind of um, on the in the underground, and like a lot of people don't watch it, but it has a sort of following. So, would you consider those cult shows, even though like they're not as widely watched or have like as they ha- their fan base is fervent, but like you don't really consider that? Would you really consider that a cult show? It's, we- it's weird. This is why. Um...
0: This is why I had the caveat about putting Gallivant on my list Mm -hmm. is I almost think that to be considered cult TV, you have to have earned that title over time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that Gallivant will become a cult TV show and maybe because it's just on my mind so much lately because I love it and it just ended. Mm -hmm. But like, I think that it will, I think, I feel like something almost has to be off the air for a while Mm -hmm. and like. St- and the loyal fan base stick around.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why you have like conventions, like uh, the uh, Star Trek conventions, or I think there even brown coat Star- conventions. And Star stuff Trek like that. is
2: the it, I would consider the first cult t- tell. So would I? Definitely, I would consider
1: Star mm-hmm. Trek the be- first
2: cult show be- because they're they're the first TV show to have conventions.
1: Mm-hmm. So essentially, cult shows tend to get their following or like their cult status after they're off the air. Yeah, I feel
0: like you kind of have to
1: earn it almost. Mm-hmm. Yes, It's
0: not a it's not a, just a thing that can be given out to any show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really want to talk about, like I said, I think the number one cult show by far is Pushing Daisies. And I am biased because I think it's also just one of the greatest television shows. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's one of the most high concept. And it definitely has a loyal following. It only had two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, people still talk about it. I know Lee Pace still talks about Brian Fuller still talks about it. Mm-hmm. They've hinted at it coming back, which we can get to that discussion in a bit. But um, I just think pushing gaze is kind of like the the best example of like a cult show and also just one of the best shows. Yeah.
1: It's one of my favorite shows and I think it does check off all the check marks that you have of a cult show and that it's a critical success commercial kind of failure. It got cancelled two seasons in. But it's like this really high concept genre show that is completely underappreciated, but now has like a massive, fo- well, not a massive following, but and has like a big, following. massive internet following and a big appreciation. Like the cast members still love it, and like they credit a lot of their success to it. And Brian Fuller, um, even though he's doing pretty well now with like, well, Hannibal also got canceled, I guess. That, that's American, God soon. American Gods, doing American Gods, but like a lot of people still remember him for pushing Daisies, and it's just such a nice quirky show. Um, I don't know if I would put it as, like, the ultimate cult TV show.
0: <laughs> no, I just, get it. Like, it, yeah. it is for me. Mm-hmm. But I, I think see. it's also just one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. I,
2: I think a good um, check mark that can be checked off if it's a cult TV show is how much do the fans want of a movie mm-hmm. after the fact? I know that um, after Chuck ended, there was huge, like, calls for either another season on maybe Netflix or something. Or uh, a lot of people were saying, let's do a movie. And it would be like called like Chuck versus the movie or something and like I
1: hate And I hate to break it to you, Willie, but I think Chuck is long gone. I
2: know, but it's on Netflix and everyone should watch it. I
1: think it got its proper ending with <laughs> yeah. the fifth season finale, even though I thought it dropped off a little bit in the fourth season. Oh, the fourth, fourth season was bit. its
2: worst season. Yeah. Um, and then its fifth season, they brought it back to a good standard. And then I think the finale uh, still breaks my heart every time. Uh, but, uh, we, the subject of movies, like, so we've seen the X-Files, they got a movie in 2000, actually, they got a movie in between their seasons. They got a
1: movie in between their seasons, and then they got a second movie, um.
2: Like, six years after they ended.
1: Yeah, like, 2005. Yeah,
2: um, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, we have, like, the entire basis of community is, uh, or they're, like, the, the the, the secret, you know,
1: six the hashtag seasons. is it's...
2: six seasons in a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've had their six seasons, so now everyone was like, is it going to be their movie? Um, and they've they have, na- they have they've ruled out a seventh season, but they haven't ruled out a movie yet. Uh, so we got shows like this. We got shows that have a fervent co- uh, fan base that get canceled, mm-hmm. and then, like Firefly, they get a movie, or there's talks of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you guys think about that? Like... W- getting a movie to either wrap things up or to further adventures?
1: Um, depends I, on the show. Yeah, it depends on the show. I think it's a mixed bag, honestly, because sometimes I feel like calls for a movie or calls for a reboot can, um, I guess, lessen the impact, the original impact of the show. Like, uh, for example, Arrested Development was a big comedic darling and, like, critical a success, but it got canceled, I think, after three seasons. Um, and I guess you could also consider it a cult show because it did get revived by Netflix for a fourth season, which didn't do that well and wasn't that great, honestly. So, and sometimes, and I like the new X-Files reboot, but, um, yeah, it's like how long can you drag out, like, the love of the fans for a show that, you know, might be past its prime. Or, like, um, for a lot of cult shows, I see kind of being very indicative of, like, the time that it was airing. So it's like, that's one of the reasons it, it got was so powerful and has such a good following, so. I
0: don't know. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm actually, I was never a big X-Files fan. I've never really watched it. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard mixed things about the new reboot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard some people don't like it that much.
1: First season was, first episode wasn't great. Um, okay. The second and third episodes are better, but, yeah. And yeah, I just, I wonder, like, you know, I get...
0: I get kind of, you know, from a fan perspective, you know, you you love something so much you want to keep living in it, Mm -hmm. Um, but I definitely think there is a point where you need to let go. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like, while Chuck was airing right now with Gallivant, like, while something is still on the air, like, championing for it and, like, being like, we want it to come back, we want it renewed, like, that's one thing, Mm -hmm. because, like, Gallivant's still on the air, like, we don't know if it's going to get renewed for season three or not, so, like, by all means, like be vocal, be passionate, like, try and get it back. But, like, if it ends up getting canceled and stuff, and, you know, maybe for a while you can, we've seen things being revived, Mm -hmm. it's possible. But I definitely think there's a point to where maybe it's like, all right, let's turn your eyes to something new. Mm -hmm. And maybe kind of, like, beating the dead horse isn't even,
1: it's not even doing that much for the show that you love so much. Mm -hmm. It, I think, um, sometimes, yeah, lessens the impact or just kind of taints the, taints your enjoyment of it. Um, For example, like, one, uh, I think, unpopular opinion I have is that there shouldn't be another Firefly reboot or, like, or continuation or, like, movie. I know, like, Firefly fans are, like, round are, like, oh, bring Firefly back. It was the best show ever. But I think if you do, it won't have that same level of, like, Appreciation or like level of quality that it had in the in that one season it had, and even the, in the movie. And I
2: think that nowadays uh, with these reboots and revivals, uh, you can kind of see that they might be too fan servicey. Mm-hmm. And I think that something yes. like Firefly could really like go far into fan service mm-hmm. because I think Joss Whedon, for all his greats and faults, I think that he you know he un- he listens to fans. And sometimes that may not be the best case. Sometimes you know, authorial intent uh, should be more powerful than fan intent. I guess would mm-hmm. be. I don't know. How, that's a. That's just how I'm phrasing. Yeah, if you guys understand my meaning, like, I understand. Yeah, they I should, totally do. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that certain shows that have such a strong fan cult following, uh, if they're revived and put back, it's either a, they either get um, too much fan service or there's a blowback because it's too different or not what they want. It's kind of like when a band comes back from hiatus. Like, I know when Fall Out Boy came back, I know this is kind of a tangent, when Fall Out Boy came back with their new album a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I remember people were like, this is not what I liked in 2005. And I'm like, well, they're not the same people in mm-hmm. 2005. Mm-hmm. If you wanted the same thing, you should have just listened to Dance Dance again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that happens with TV shows, too, where you get these um, revivals like, I, I know I liked the Veronica Mars movie um and I but but to the but I also recognize that it's very fan service mm-hmm. because it's it was a kickstarter mm-hmm. um that I think Warner Brothers matched. Uh, well yeah. and
0: it feels also it, it honestly like it feels pretty forgettable
1: compared to the three seasons that Veronica Mars had. I agree. Um I thought I I liked the Veronica Mars movie enough but it felt like a lesser one-off episode almost. And yeah. definitely like the characters that they came, they brought back were a little bit neutered for the fans. Like, especially Logan. I felt like uh, yeah. it was just like a completely different portrayal of Logan. I I was a little upset about that, actually. That's like mm-hmm. the one thing that rubbed me the wrong way with that Veronica Mars movie.
2: And it's one of those things where the show is brought back or revived or movied so many years later that the actors are in a different place in their lives. Mm-hmm. They're either better actors or worse, or they just haven't done much. Or I know uh, Kristen Bell's career has took off after uh, Veronica Mars, mm-hmm. but... Um, like, you just see these, like, characters come back after so much time, and you're kind of like, well, should they be brought back? Like, mm-hmm. should we still be, you know... The X-Files is interesting because this 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 new season take, takes place after we've learned that, you know, the NSA spies on America and all that kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. all these things that Mulder was conspir- uh, you know, believed in, has come true, so what does that say about the show? Like, what mm-hmm. does what can the show investigate... With new, I mean, like they can still investigate aliens and Mm -hmm. kind of and like the the paranormal and the supernatural, but the the conspiracy aspect is that it came true Mm -hmm. in in real life. So like, how did? And I know that the new show I haven't watched any, but I know it deals with like nine eleven and like and like the Bush (laughs) era, like what they did and stuff like that. So it's just really interesting that you get these shows that come back with when fans, you know. They're like, we want new shows, we want new stuff, and then we get new stuff, and it's kind of like, oh, this is either too much of what we liked, or not enough of what we liked.
1: Yeah, it's a question of balancing like fan needs with like a creative with creative control, like wanting to tell a new, better story rather than like servicing the characters or like servicing the fans like with the characters they want. So. It-
0: yeah, it's like that, that like quote you hear something, or it's like, you know, like, don't cry because like you lost it or something, like, be happy that you had it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that sort of, like, idea. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's sort of how I feel sometimes about, like, my favorite cult TV shows. Yeah. Um, I love Pushing Daisies. I would, like, I would love to return to that universe, but, like, at the same time, what we got was so good. And I don't... And, like, I think Brian Fuller is one of the most reliable creators out there mm-hmm. and one of the best visionaries, so, like, I trust him. More than I do other showrunners, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, I, I, I you're gonna put all your hopes on it. You're gonna put all your expectations on it, and like inevitably, it's gonna disappoint you in some way. And it's like, why do we need that? You know, I don't think Pushing Daisies would work as a movie at all. Mm-mm. I think if you brought it back, I think maybe a mini series would be good. If you ever mm-hmm. brought Pushing Daisies back, I don't think it's one of those shows that you should try and relaunch and get renewed season after season, I think a mini-series could work for it. But, like, you know, Brian Puller has to want to do it. He has to be in the right space for it. Lee Page has to be available. Anna Friel, you know, everyone. And you have to... And, like, then you're going to have all the expectations of capturing the same kind of magic. But, like, that's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. So then you have to kind of be like, well, let's capture a new kind of magic. And I just... I feel like there's just so much... Pressure and it's like why? Like you enjoyed it at the time, and you can go back and rewatch it. That's what DVDs are for.
2: (laughs) And you know what I find really striking and interesting about this whole conversation is that Star Trek is the one success that has checked off everything that we've talked about, and has still considered to be. It's never long past. It's it's well. It's it's never stayed past. It's welcome. I think everybody like there was announced. They announced a new Star Trek series that is supposed to be like a web series, but. Produced okay. by CBS, it's not by fans. And I'm really excited for that, because mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to... They didn't say what it will be about at all. Um, and I know that the movie has... Its, the, the new movies with uh, the J.J. Abrams ones, they have their issues. Uh, I still like them for what they bring to the new Star Trek universe that they rebooted, even though I know that the characterizations are not as good as the original series with Chatner and Nimoy. Mm-hmm. Um but, like, let's look at Star Trek from, like, the history of it. So, it was canceled after three seasons. It was brought back as an animated TV show to finish off its five-year mission in the 70s.
0: And let's not forget, though, that, like, I think it was about to get canceled after season two, yeah. and, like, fans wrote in all those letters. It was, like, the first big fan campaign
2: Yeah, that, like, so,
0: saved a show.
2: And it was brought back by popular demand to reruns after its animated series wrapped up in the 70s. Uh, and then in... Once Star Wars became a movie, uh, Gene Roddenberry and everyone at at Star Trek was like, well, why don't we do a movie? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know exactly, but they did a movie after Star Wars because they thought, oh, science fiction in space can do well at the movies. So they did the motion picture, uh, Star Trek the motion picture. It was basically a very extended episode of the original series. And it's awful. I, it's, it's awful. I've watched it a couple of times. I cannot... That's the only thing
0: about Star Trek movies, only the even-numbered movies are good. <laughs> yes,
2: and uh, except Into Darkness is not good. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, however, so they brought back, they did kind of almost another reboot with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, where they have new uniforms, and it's better writing, better acting. You get the best performance out of Shatner. And I learned that by... Uh, you have to do 12 takes to get Shatner to do a good performance. Uh, and then they, did, they did Search... They did, and then they did this... Uh, they did 2, 3, and 4, which were its own trilogy in its own sake. It's like uh, The Wrath of Khan, and then The Search for Spock, which is the aftermath of that, and then The, um, the Voyage Home, which is a time travel movie, which takes place d- directly after The Search for Spock. And it's all this, like... It's a very serialized movie format. And then they did 5, which... Shatner directed, which is not as good. And then they did uh, Star Trek VI, which rounded out the end of the original series era um, for the most part. And then while those movies were coming on, they started Star Trek The Next Generation in syndication on television. So suddenly we got this, 100 years later, in the the timeline of the show, we get a brand new Enterprise, a brand new crew, a brand new captain. And it's a different feeling. It's... you know, still show run by Gene Roddenberry um, for the most part. Uh, I think he died in the middle of it. I'm not sure, uh, but you know, you got this. It's in the same universe. It's in. It, I think it's still considered. I think every series of Star Trek can be considered a hit because uh, you know they were in syndication, so you never really saw unless you saw them. Live like my dad did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really. You kind of see them in reruns or on Netflix now. All five seasons are on Netflix, or all five series, I should say, are on Netflix. Um, and then Star Trek: The Next Generation got their own movies after their show ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and while those sh- movies were taking place, you have Star Trek Voyager and you should have Star Trek Deep Space Nine running simultaneously. And then after all that's done, they decided to do a reboot prequel. Not reboot. Uh, sorry, I should say a prequel series called Star Trek Enterprise, mm-hmm. which is about the NX-01 Enterprise, um, take, that takes place about 100, 200 years before Captain Kirk's time. And you see all the beginnings of the Star Trek universe with that. So, that and it's got like a 50-year history of being basically the world's best cult hit.
1: So why do you think Star Trek especially has stood the test of time as a cult TV show, it hasn't lost that status, and like through multiple resurrections and adaptations and like mediums even... So, why do you think it is that in particular that has launched that as like the first cult TV show and still the ultimate one?
2: I think there's just an endless amount of stories that you can tell, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a big factor when it comes to rebooting or resurrecting a TV show. Is that what stories can you tell with these characters or in this universe um, still? And I think that Star Trek, it's about exploring the final frontier, and I think that the final frontier, as we know, is endless, and that. There's always going to be strange new worlds, and I think that I was—I was
0: going to say that, but I don't know if that's true. It's weird because you say there's so much, and there's endless storytelling, which is true. But in other TV universes, there is also endless storytelling. Firefly, for example, also set in space, endless possibilities for you know discovering new crews and you know the alliance and the federation and kind of exploring those like a show from the. Federation's P.O.B., mm-hmm. and yet we agree that Firefly shouldn't come back. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so many things have endless possibilities. Yeah. Why does Star Trek succeed exploring those other possibilities and other shows where, like, eh, yeah, there's storytelling there, but, like, we don't really want it. Like, why does Star-, Star Trek get that pass? I
1: think a lot of those other cult shows, like Firefly especially, is very dependent on like the charisma of the characters and the actors and also the talent of the writing team and behind it. Like Joss Whedon is synonymous with Firefly as is like Nathan Fillion and Mm -hmm. and Gina Torres and um, all the other actors and stuff. So I feel like it's because that one is so grounded in like the characters that we love and writing that we love, that it's hard for us to continue that kind of style or that, that particular like crew. And but couldn't you
0: argue that after Star Trek The Original Series? Like, we weren't you alive could.
1: then, so, like, now yeah. you say, like,
0: because we don't know that, uh, another crew, but, like, people who grew up on Star Trek The Original Series didn't know Picard. Yeah, and they didn't like
2: Picard at first, because they thought, he, you know, he's not Cowboy Kirk. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting that, I think, it if you let a show like Star Trek kind of, like, run its course, and it didn't, I don't think it... Like, I've watched plenty of episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, and I wouldn't really consider them to be, like, fanservicey y to the mm-hmm. new, to the original series. So they, they tried to carve their own place in the universe, mm-hmm. literally and metaphorically, and I think it worked. And I think that, I think it worked because they were so focused on the, these new characters, and they didn't try to bring back, I mean, they did bring back a couple characters every once in a while. We had um, Bones showed up in the pilot, Uh, and then we've had Scotty, like, at at some point, every character kind of showed up in The Next Generation, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that Star Trek is interesting with this, because we're talking about which shows don't, you know, shouldn't be brought back, and which ones should, and I think, ultimately, it's very subjective, you know, Mm -hmm. what we think, but I think that Star Trek works because, like I said earlier, because of the stories that they Mm -hmm. tell, it's about humanity, it's about humanity's hope in the and it's about humanity's search for who we are in the universe. Um, it's very—I think you could relate to a lot of characters, uh, and I think that just the way that they've portrayed the galaxy in the future is what we kind of want to aspire to. Especially with, with Earth, where there's—you know—the Enterprise was, was didn't cost a dime. You know, in the future, they've gotten rid of money. They've gotten rid of a bunch of things. You know, like it tried to create this utopic. Uh, utopian experience and then Star Trek The Next Generation kind of, you know, they they still showed that there's evil in the world with Borg and all that kind of stuff. Um, so they kind of they they broadened the universe so much and I think that when you get shows like Firefly HD, you're very correct where I, th- where I think that a lot of shows that get brought back, there's a certain level of like dedication to what the show is about uh, like, what that original incarnation is yeah, about. Yeah, I
1: think fans just want to recreate that experience they first had exactly. watching that show. And, like, that's the problem with, like, cult TV fans. But not happen. exactly cult TV. Yeah, if a cult TV show is successful, like Star Trek, and then they don't... They're not, not necessarily taking into account fan reaction, but, like, they appreciate the fan reaction, but then go on to, to tell, like, their own original stories and, like, go pick authorial... Um, and creative content over, like, fan service. Yeah. So that's, like, the kind of cult TV shows I think will not only stand the test of time, but will be able to um, expand.
2: And ironically, where Star Trek has faltered has been kind of with fan service. Mm. Um, I know that when Captain Kirk died in Star Trek Generations, a lot of people hated it mm. because he died like a punk. <laughs> uh, he died on a bridge, and the bridge fell, and that's what killed him. Oh, wow. um, and, and, I mean... Obviously, you know, Shatner and Picard and uh, uh, Patrick Stewart. You know, they acted well in that movie, but the movie wasn't great. It was kind of, it was very convoluted. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of like time stream mess up that was, didn't work, and it's because they wanted to bring Shatner into this new into the Next Generation universe, mm-hmm. um, and it didn't work well. And I think that you can also see that in J.J. J. Abrams' movies. I think fan service can get too over the top, over the top, or or they do something, like, that shouldn't be touched. I know Star Trek Into the Darkness has, you know... They, they basically just did the Wrath of Khan in their universe, Universed. and it, it really didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and really? they reversed, you know, what happens with Kirk and Spock. Um, and, you know, if it... I think Star Trek Into the Darkness had a lot of potential, and I think it faltered because of the fan service. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. fan service, essentially, even though it's what, stri- what drives cult TV, is not exactly what is at the core of cult television. Um, it's just like the combination of fan love as well as like a specific kind of unique uh, creator vision.
0: It's interesting. I, um, I did an independent study in college on television fandom.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I wrote a, my ultimate paper, you know, was about the relationship between creators and fans.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think, I mean, fans are essential. You don't have a show if you don't have fans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. End of story. Um, and respecting the fans, communicating with the fans, all extremely important. Catering to the fans and sacrificing your vision, that's the problem. I feel like there has like, there, that's the thing with, like, social media and stuff these days. Is that, like, the fact that there is no more distance between fans and creators. Mm-hmm. And while it's great in some regards it's also kind of dangerous in other regards because Mm -hmm. then giving into the pressure of fans, I think can really hurt a show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the problem with reboots of cult TV shows is that like, if you're doing it, if you're not doing it out of a place of, Oh, we have a story to tell and rather, Oh, everyone wants this. Mm -hmm. Let's create a story. I think that's the problem. I think you have to have the story
2: first. I agree. Yeah. Um, I think, do you you guys have anything else to say about cult TV, or do you think that pretty much wraps it up?
1: I think that wraps it up. I did want to make a mention, too. I know we didn't really discuss Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, yeah, I did want to
0: hear your thoughts, though.
1: Sure. Um, So, essentially, I consider that a cult TV show because it's still, even though it had, like, a massive following and, like, kicked off this kind of era of Nickelodeon in that their cartoons were suddenly, like, to be taken seriously... I still think because it was on a network like Nickelodeon and because it's an animated show that it doesn't have the level of respect that it should even though it's like some of the best storytelling and best characters that I've seen on TV in forever and like I don't think I think it, it deserves a place in cult television because of that. Like I think one of the defining facets of cult television is underappreciation and definitely like animation um, and like that format puts it in there even though it's like such great storytelling so that's my reasoning for Avatar I agree okay. I love it yep. yeah and uh, it did launch another show uh, Legend of Korra which was you
2: know? which is I believe even more cult
1: it's more cult because the following is more niche and yeah, like yeah. I know a lot and, of people like it and what Avatar. happened
2: to it it, t- it went straight to it in the third season it switched from being television televised to streamed only mm-hmm. and then the fourth season was only streamed
1: yeah so that's that's my reason for Avatar, Legend of Korra. I love it. Mm-hmm.
2: It's great shows. Uh,
1: anything else you guys want to add about cult television? Uh,
2: just that I'm I'm really kicking myself that I didn't pick Chuck as my number one pick. Uh, <laughs> it's Okay, we
1: had it in there. Yeah, so I'm like, glad we had it in there. This can be like our combined fifteen, like top fifteen. Yes.
2: So, cool. mm-hmm. uh, so we should move on.
1: Yeah, the last segments of our episode. Um, Anya, do you want to introduce it this time? Because it's a little bit of a change. Yes. All right. So our last
0: episode, our episode, I'll do that again. Our last segment, uh, you guys have known it as the love-hate segment at the end of each episode. But we decided to tweak that a little. Um, It's now called We Really Like You, a riff on the Carly Rae Jepsen song. So we really, 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 really like you. And basically, we just noticed that none of us were ever doing anything that we hated, mm-hmm. mostly because we're positive people and we like to talk about things that make us happy. I think everyone kind of prefers that to mm-hmm. stewing on something that doesn't make you happy. And we wanted to end the, our episodes on a positive note. So from now on, our segment is we really like you. And we're going to talk about the things that we really like. Yes. In the week. All right, so,
1: Willoughby, why don't you start us off?
2: Okay, so I just finished a book called Kenobi by John Jackson Miller. Uh, I, I love Obi-Wan Kenobi as a character. I believe he is the best character in the Star Wars universe, um, mor- morality-wise, and, like, just characterization-wise, uh, he goes through some shit in the movies, <laughs> That, he does that. Not a lot of people get to go through or have to go through. Um, and Kenobi really deals with the aftermath, the, the emotional aftermath of Revenge of the Sith, where he had to cut down his best friend and brother, Anakin mm-hmm. Skywalker, when he turned to the dark side. So, to give a brief plot summary of Kenobi, it's a space western set on Tatooine in the weeks after Revenge of the Sith, with Obi Wan Kenobi setting up shop or setting up home. In the Moss Isley Anchorhead Jungle and Waste area, that we wh- that we meet him in episode four, um, but it's not told from his perspective. It's told from two different perspectives uh, from town locals, uh, uh, a store owner, and her kind of lover, who's a farmhand, who is the head of this like militia that takes on Tuscan Raider raids. And basically, Obi-Wan Kenobi comes into this place because uh, obviously he is there to look over Luke. Uh, but he goes into the into the town to go to, to the store uh, to pick up you know groceries and stuff. He, he meets these characters, and he basically you know, he's trying really hard to like distance himself from being like he doesn't want to be found out as a Jedi. Luckily, you know, luckily Tatooine is pretty backwater, so no one really no one even really knows that there is an Empire now. So people still think it's a Republic. And so the, the the whole move, the whole book is this western essentially of these characters trying to fend off against the Tuscan Raiders. Um, but there's twists and turns, and there's you know uh, betrayals, and there's romance going on. But ultimately, it's about Obi Wan Kenobi and how he's dealing with the events of Revenge of the Sith, um, where he's at emotionally, mentally, physically. Uh, you know, he tries not to be a you know superhuman with his Jedi skills, but when he has to fight Tuscan Raiders or something, he tries really hard to you know make sure that people don't see his lightsaber or something. And he's trying, re- you know, he's trying to be Ben Kenobi. And there comes a point where, uh, you know, he's trying to just distance himself from being a Jedi, but he can never break from the code. Uh, so I'd give it a read. It's really, it gets really good. Kind of in the in the second part. There's four parts. The first part is kind of slow, but it really kicks into high gear once uh, once once you establish all the characters and get the plot rolling, it gets really good.
0: Awesome! So, yeah. I think we should start a running tally of how many times Willoughby does Star Wars for this segment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree, and also like since I have been able to mention Buffy every episode, we should uh, have some sort of tally for both of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It'd be pretty um, great. My really, 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 really like for this episode is Channing Tatum. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes.
1: I am really enjoying his new kind of role as the third act scene stealer in a movie. I talked about this a little bit when we were talking about um, Hateful Eight and our Hateful Eight podcast um, and how he kind of just like shows up in the third act and just steals the movie. Um, and he kind of did that. I saw... Um, Hail Caesar with Willoughby this Friday. And, you know, I have mixed thoughts about it. But one of the, the, the shining moments of the movie is Channing Tatum. Yeah, and absolutely. he And, like, his proving himself as not only a dance man, but a song and dance man. And a Gene Kelly look-alike.
2: And so, a
1: tapper. And a tapper. Not not easy. No, he's a dancer, we know. Like, I remember watching him way back in Step Up. And, he, was, <laughs> you know, I, I was saying before, I'm really proud of his growth. And I really just, like, I feel like the like, a mother hen to him. Like, good for you, Channing Tatum. I'm so happy you made it out of, like, your Nicholas Sparks romance day slash, yeah. like, everyone bad action movies. You. Yeah, and I'm just happy that he's been able to make it this far and become, like, a solid comedic actor.
2: I think 21 Jump Street really helped him. 21 Jump oh, Street yeah. did, Because they, I, I listened to, watched some stuff about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't believe he was funny. Mm-hmm. So everyone just said, no, just don't yeah. act, just be yourself. And suddenly... You know, this creative renaissance occurred.
1: It's amazing. I think, like, and also I feel like he's just a great guy. Because remember, yeah. like, during the Sony hacks, and, like, that email where he, like, was, like, 21 Jump Street beat blah, blah, blah at the box office. And it was just, like, all caps, ha, 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 for, like, two pages. Yeah, amazing. I love him. So, I love him. Um, I'm hoping we see him in more, like, song and dance stuff, which we might, because he is doing a musical with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which was recently announced. I don't know if it's yes. a television or a movie musical. It might be television. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think it's with Hit Record. Because so they're good buddies. They're good buddies. And they're wouldn't be Violet? Yes. Oh, it's going to be perfect. I'm and, and, so excited. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, this is, like, sacrilege to say, but if they do remake Singing in the Rain as a movie, um, I think the only person who could play Don Lockwood is Channing Tatum.
0: Mm-hmm. And... Joseph Gordon-Levitt should play Cosmo. Oh my
2: God, because he Yes, did, uh, he make did. A make one a on 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 laugh on SNL.
1: He could do yeah. that, and he can flip them shit. Sorry, cursing, but yes.
2: That's the that that's those are the only characters that could work, and the, the the only actors that could do that in modern day. I agree. Yeah,
0: because I mean, now we have that renaissance of like TV musicals. Mm-hmm. If,
2: so they if they do ever s-
0: do, if they ever do singing in the rain one day for TV.
1: Yeah, Grease Live was surprisingly good. Like. I have mixed.
0: I have mixed thoughts yeah. on Grease Live. I mean,
1: like, I didn't expect it to be as detailed in the sets. I was, like, really impressed by the sets. I was like, damn, those sets look good. <laughs> I think Grease Live was, like, a technical, like,
0: genius. It was such an achievement. It was a marvel. I
2: had other issues. It was directed by the same guy who does Hamilton. Really? Yeah. Yep. That's yeah.
1: why it's so interesting visually. Yeah, like, yeah. the casting was, lit. I mean, Vanessa Hudgens was great. Um, she was great, but, like,
0: I still don't buy Aaron Tobate of Danny Zuko. Like, no, boy no. can sing. Boy is so talented. He was miscast. But the
1: Guy is not a sleazy T-bird. Nope.
0: He's a, a dirt.
1: Yeah. He he was miscast. Julianne Ho, I think, is, like, one of those problematic... I tough. it's Huff. Huff? Yeah. Huff. Did you just say ho? Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, I think it's, yeah, Julian Ho. Julian
2: Huff. Huff. <laughs>
1: <Julianne> Huff. <laughs> Sorry. I am... <laughs> That's awkward. Freudian slip. Whoops. <laughs> And she and Erin DeBate had no chemistry. Yeah, she's kind of like one of those actresses who's, like, a little bit charmless. Like, you know, they keep trying to push her, but she doesn't really have that charisma. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay, yeah. My, like, Jennings, you know. Cool. All right. Um. So for
0: mine, what I really liked this week, it was interesting. This whole week, I've been expecting that my thing for this segment would be Hail Caesar. I was like, all right, I'm going to love it. That's what I'm going to talk about. It's going to be great. And then I didn't like Hail Caesar. Oh,
1: no!
0: For a lot of reasons that we won't get into, because we're not discussing it, but I am not on the Hail Caesar train, Mm -hmm. Um, despite the fact that Channing Tatum is great, and so is Ray Fine. So is everyone in that movie. It's just very disjointed, is all. The movie itself, I did not
2: like. The individual Um, scenes, the overall plot.
1: Yeah.
0: There was no plot. The
1: uh, elements (laughs) did not make the whole, basically. No. No. So,
0: surprisingly, yesterday I saw a double feature of that. And Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And I was fully expecting to, like, have fun at Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but for Hail Caesar to be like, ah, yes, this movie.
2: The Critical Darling.
0: And then Pride and Prejudice and Zombies was the movie that I liked more. And it's so much fun. I want it on DVD. I want to watch it all the time. (laughs) It's great. Um, It's exactly what it says in the title. It's Jane Austen and Zombies. It's ridiculous. It's fun. What more could you want? Um, I'm a big Jane Austen fan, like huge. Um, and so I love this. I don't think there's any sort of like sacrilege of like putting zombies I think it's like super great. Like take classic literature and be like, let's just flip it on its head. Mm. Um and what's so great about Pride and Prejudice and zombies is that it doesn't try to create something new. It's literally the plot of Pride and Prejudice and there just happens to be zombies in there too. <laughs> oh that's amazing. Like all the same things happen. Um, it's super great. The movie was so much fun. Um, ladies kick ass. They save the men a lot. The first scene where all five Bennett sisters go up against zombies, and, like there's epic music, and it's slow-mo, and you're just like, yeah! And you're watching these women in dresses just kick ass. Oh, it's the best. Matt Smith steals every scene he's in. I'm happy he's for so him. He's so funny. Good. He is hilarious. But he finally to, got a
2: good movie to I be want in. him
1: to be successful, yeah.
0: Um, and Lily Jane and Sam Riley make a really great Lizzie and Darcy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a little younger than they should be but that's okay because they work they just they get that dichotomy down between these two characters um and they're a lot of fun together and watching them like i never really thought i would use this to describe jane austen but like man like they're hot like <laughs> who knew that like jane austen could be i was just like yes it's like steamy man them to like kill a zombie and then make out <laughs> and, like that's what this movie is for that's me like, dream. It was such it was so much fun Like, I was just like, at the end, I was like, yeah, let's go! And it's not doing well by critics, but that's okay, because it's not a critics' film. Like, this movie was not made for critics. This movie was just made to be fun, and that's what it is, and that's why I'm so into it, and that's why I really like it.
2: So, do you think they should do Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters after this?
0: Um, maybe. I mean, so there's that one, and there's also Emma and the Vampires. Oh, I haven't heard Uh, about that one. uh, And, uh, neither of those were ever as good as Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Neither of them had the kind of same success. Mm -hmm. And given that Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is unfortunately bombing at the box office and getting bad reviews, I don't think they're going to consider it a success.
2: Well, it's interesting Um, because Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter was the same thing.
0: It bombed, too, yeah. It also bombed, yeah. But it took a really Um, long
2: time for this one to to get off. I I knew This one had
0: production problems a lot.
2: I knew that Natalie Portman was attached to it for a really long time, And and then I think... She got off of it. Um, so it was in production hell for quite a while.
0: Yeah, and that that definitely struggled. But I think maybe they've kind of... I don't know. I'm not sure if Hollywood's going to bank on this genre
1: mm-hmm.
0: anymore. They've tried twice. It hasn't been a success. I think this movie is way better than Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, to be fair. Well, that's good. Um, it's a lot more fun, in my opinion. But I also just love Jane Austen. So I was like... It was so great, because for me, I was like enjoying the Jane Austen aspects, and then, like, action would happen, I'd be like, yeah! (laughs) And, you know, you don't normally really get that in Jane Austen, so.
1: That's awesome. Um,
0: I wouldn't mind seeing more of these kind of films, like, I think they're a riot. Like, sometimes I just want to have silly fun at the movies, so. That's
1: what they're for. They're for a good time. Exactly. Escapism. Yes. All right. All right. right. Um, That is our episode for this week. Thank you all for joining us. And please come back next week Uh, and let us know your thoughts on cult television, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Channing Tatum, and Kenobi, if you have any. Um, So, where can they let us know? Uh,
2: They can let us know on our Facebook page. If you search for us on Facebook, The Millennial Falcon, you can uh, go to Twitter and search for us at Falcon Podcast we also have a blog called Millennial Falcon millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com We're also on iTunes which you might be listening to right now on uh, and please uh, rate, review, and subscribe there. Uh, and where can they find us on the internet, guys? You can find
0: me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. You can find me at H.
1: on Twitter.
2: And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs also on Twitter.
1: Alright, thanks All right. for joining us, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.